We're sisters, best friends, and authors on a mission to help you stoke your creative fire and live the life of your dreams. We believe that purpose fuels passion and that creativity is your secret weapon for mass construction. There's never been a better time to bless the world with your dream realized. You're listening to The Kate and Abby Show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Kate and Abby Show. This is episode 40, and today we are talking, we're debunking seven common writing myths, stereotypes that float around in the writing world and actually do damage to new writers who believe them. So in this episode, we're going to prove those myths wrong and reveal the writing truths on the flip side, practical advice that will actually help you a lot on your writing journey. Before we get started, we have to thank our sponsors who are you. That's right. You guys keep this show going. You're the ones who support us and we appreciate it so much. So if you get value out of this podcast, go to patreon.com slash the Kate and Abby show and help us keep this show alive and free of interruptions. Okay, let's get right into it. Myth number one is you have to be good at writing to be a good writer. And by Mm. good at writing, I mean like prose, writing actual prose and being lyrical and technically good. Yeah. I feel like that's a big myth. Yeah. That deters most people from even trying from the start. And then then it's like everyone's standard of what's good is different. Right. It'd be like saying, oh, if you can't sing opera, you can't sing. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it depends on what kind of singing you like there, you know, that disqualifies a lot of people. Yeah, it does. It's the same with writing. What is good writing? You know? Totally subjective. Completely subjective. Yeah. Like, it's so subjective. We like could stop right here and not even talk about this one anymore. I know. Because it's a stupid concept. (laughs) It really is. And some of the best writing, and we've said this before, some of the Best writing out there that has changed the world on fundamental levels was written by people who wouldn't consider themselves writers. So think about that. Some historical things that were written by people who uh, went through wars and stuff. They weren't writers. Yeah. They weren't, you know, spending their days making Pinterest boards for their WIP. They just, something happened that made them need to write a story. And that's what writing should be as a mechanism to tell a story, not to try to reach some elevated pedestal of what someone else thinks is good. Right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. what all those people have, what all good books have, what all good stories have, is that they make you feel something. And to me, that's the only thing you should want your writing to do. Right. As far as the actual prose and the actual quality of the writing should make you feel something, should make your reader feel something. That should be your only goal. Exactly. Yeah. If writing doesn't make you feel anything, if it doesn't convey an emotion, if it doesn't touch your readers, what is it doing? What is it for? Exactly. Exactly. So that's it right there. Let's move on to the next one. Myth number two. Your plot has to be unique. Mm. That's one that I see (laughs) in all of the generic writing advice. Yeah. Oh, you have to think of a unique plot. Oh, what's what about your plot is different from everybody else's? 
Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Literally, what, it will be nothing. That should be on the list of fastest ways to depress yourself about <laughs> yeah. your own writing. Exactly. One, how is your plot unique from everyone else's? It's not because pretty much everything's been done before. We've these, are the about qu- <laughs> these are the questions we hear in our head while we're trying to get to sleep at night. You know, yeah. it's, these are like the haunting voices in our heads. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your plot's unique. That's not important because yeah. there are no unique plots. You can go on, I was going to say Wattpad, but you could do this on a bookstore, in a bookstore too. Um, but let's just use Wattpad as an example. You could go on Wattpad and just scroll through any genre. Okay. Let's say contemporary YA romance. Um and pretty much every single story, <laughs> same with published books, looks like the same thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have the same premise. Why? I can't tell you how many like fake dating stories I've seen on Wattpad and also published. And they all kind of copy each other more or less. Right. Not not knocking anybody who's written a fake dating story. I mean, I've done the same thing and I quite enjoy them. But it's a premise that people like. So if you choose that premise... For your book, that doesn't make it bad. That doesn't make it un- not unique. That doesn't make it unoriginal and lousy, you know? Yeah. It just means that you are writing a specific niche. Right. I think and, it's, I think it's and more of a people, niche thing. It's not the plot that people even care about. Exactly. Like, for example, we've talked about this with the Marvel franchise. Yeah. And um, a lot of the plots in Marvel films are very, very, very similar. And no one cares. We come to these films for the characters. And that when you visit any YouTube video, fan page, a social media thing, people aren't like, wow, you know what my favorite thing about Captain America was? Was how unique the plot was. Yeah. Or Thor or whatever. They like the characters. It's always about the characters. It's It's never about. You know what my favorite thing was about was the unique plot. The unique plot just blew me away. No one. No one cares. They care about the character and what the character made them feel. And when you can get someone to latch onto a character and identify with them and love that character, they don't care if it's like, oh, we're going to watch him jump off buildings for, you know, five movies. Right. (laughs) We're going to watch him try to defeat the same bad guy for five movies or more. We don't care. Because what we what we're interested in is the character and his right. internal conflict. Exactly. So yes. that the plot doesn't matter. It's like you know we've said this several times about you know that quote about how there's really only like seven storylines. Mm-hmm. It's true. There's really not a lot of storylines, and it doesn't matter. It's about the uniqueness of the characters, and their in, not even so much the uniqueness, but their internal conflict right. and how people which is can really what makes them with unique. that. Right. That's yeah. what makes them unique. Yeah, that's the only thing that's relatable about them, and it's pretty much the only thing that's going to make them unique. So that is the best thing to focus on for sure. And I think that's not even what people, people aren't even looking for like, oh, I relate to this, you know, I like this character because they're unique. They're unique. Right. I like this character because I can relate to them. Right. And you can relate to them because they have conflict. Right. They have something they want. They have something they're afraid of. They have a misbelief that drives their actions. They're like you. They're human. Right. You know? So that's the thing. You're, it's not so much trying to write something like, what's something no one's done with a character? It's yeah. what is someone going to connect with? Right. And a lot of times it's going to be something that has been done quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might even be an aspect of the relatability. 
Right. So and the uniqueness will come that. with your your own voice that you're writing in. Your what yeah. what you write isn't going to you see things differently than how anyone else will. So if you're if you're genuinely wondering like, well, is there absolutely nothing unique about my book? No. That there is. <laughs> there is something unique yeah. about your book. And what what's unique about your book is you writing it because no one's going to write this particular story exactly as you will. Right. Yeah. Well said. Myth number three is you need to write every day. And I know we've talked about this one quite a few times, but it's a popular piece of advice, especially given to beginner writers, and I don't think it's a good piece of advice. Mm. It is good to get into a habit of writing, and we have a whole episode on that, so go look at that one. Go listen to that one if you haven't already, um, how to get in a habit of writing. It is good to build a habit of writing. But if you're forcing yourself to write every day because you feel like you're not a legitimate writer if you don't write every day, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're probably quickly going to dislike it. So me and Kate have talked about this before, but we don't write every day. We write when we feel like it. We write when we have the opportunity to. Um, And there are tons of factors that come into play with having a day devoted to writing or having even just a few hours set aside for writing. So if you don't get to write every day or you don't feel like writing every day, that does not make you less of a writer. Absolutely not. (laughs) You should write regularly, but when you feel like it, when you feel inspired. Right. And it's skipping a day of writing or taking a break or not writing every day does not make you fall out of the habit of writing. Yeah, exactly. It's It's just like working out. Right. Um, you really shouldn't work out every single day. Um, and if if you if you are like, okay, I take rest days on, you know, this day and this day, it's like, okay, well, it's not like, oh, I don't work out anymore. All my muscles went away overnight. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's still there and it's still um, serving you, but I, it actually serves you better to not do it every day because you burn yourself out. And it's the same. And I know it's we're talking about the physical body with working out, but – the mental and emotional body is the same way. You can burn yourself out very similarly by making yourself do the same thing over and over and over and over again without any rest days. And I've found for myself making sure that I am taking care of myself, mind, body, and spirit, and taking time to just enjoy my book, whether that's spending the day thinking about it or, you know, making vision boards for it. If it's not, even if it's not specifically writing it, I'm always spending time in my book nourishing the story so that I can write it well. And I think those periods of nourishment outside of just writing are important. Yeah, for sure. Because you have to rest in order to, you have to fill your cup in order to get anything out of it. Right. Which, go um, watch our not our last one, but the one before it. If you're looking for some self-care ideas for writers, we shared all of our self-care ideas, all the things we do to take care of ourselves and our minds and bodies to um, write better. Yeah, that was a good episode. Lots of good self-care tips in there. Myth number four is about characters, and it is your characters have to be likable. And this is more of like a popular idea, that I've seen. It's not really so much writing advice, but it's kind of a, I guess it is writing advice because I've seen a lot of people advise writers. 
asking them like what makes your character likable your character has to be likable but that's actually not true and we've talked about this before that your characters really don't have to be likable they don't have to be they don't have to even try to be nice (laughs) right yeah they don't have to be like these morally perfect cherubs that everybody can root for and they're just perfect actually that's a bad idea to make them perfect obviously they have to be conflicted they can't be flawless they have to have flaws the flawless character is a character that yeah. you don't feel connected with exactly at all. you can't relate to them so the thing is you have to be able to relate to your characters your audience has to be able to relate to your characters and they have to care about them so what i mean by this is that you can care about characters who aren't likable by definition. Case study Sherlock. <laughs> right. I actually want to do a whole case study on that. I want to do no, a case study should. type of thing on like unlikable characters because mm. I've seen this and like it's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy because mm. you have characters and I could name more but there's a lot of characters who you like them and you root for them even though they're not really likable. Hmm. And so that's unexplainable under the advice of, oh, your characters have to be likable in order for your audience to like them. Well, then right. why do we like the unlikable characters? Right. You know? Like, uh, I'm thinking of like Lady Mary Downton Abbey. Yeah. Like at least the first season. Yeah, she's unlikable uh, Actually, too. the her and Edith are both kind <laughs> yeah. of unlikable characters yeah. for most of that season. Right. Um. But yeah, you're still kind of rooting for both of them. Right. And, and when, they, when they hit stumbling blocks, you feel bad for them. You want yeah. them to be able to succeed. But they really do a lot of things that aren't very nice to exactly. each other and to other people. And you're kind of like, wow, dang. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, But you can see how they're both so conflicted. Exactly. So that's what makes you care about them. So above and beyond anything else, your characters have to be conflicted so that your, re- your readers, your audience cares about them. But... They don't have to necessarily be likable. Hmm. They don't even have to try to be nice people. Obviously, you can have protagonists who are the heroic type, but they still have to be conflicted. Yeah. So I think I think you shouldn't shy away from having your characters be a little bit unlikable sometimes. Myth number five is you need to write a detailed outline before you write your book. And I know that sounds really weird coming from me because I write very detailed outlines, as everybody knows. I love outlining. I love getting super detailed with my outlines. And I advise other people to do the same if they want to. But that's the clause there is that if you want to. So I think the the flip side truth of this is you should only outline as much as you feel you need to just to like orient yourself, orientate Orient, orientate. Are they the same things? I don't know. Um, just to know where you're going, right. basically. Is what <laughs> yes. <I mean. laughs> like have a sense of where you're going, which I know you have a completely different process, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this before. But even you make notes to yourself sometimes to sometimes. just like get an idea of where you're going. Yeah. You know, not always, but like right. Usually, to understand the complexity of what's happening. Yeah. You know. Right. It depends on the book. And the story itself, and it depends on where I'm at. Usually I can write a lot of words before I need to pause and be like, okay, where am I? And then I I sometimes will jot down, if I know I'm like, okay, what happens is this, 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 this. I'll like jot those things down real fast. Like I'm talking about a bullet point list, like 
the character goes to his friend's house. At his friend's house, this happens. Because of this, this happens. And then we have, you know, the end climax, whatever. You right. know what I mean? Very quickly like that with almost no more words. And then if it's something culture related, which is something I've done more of in this book because it's a high fantasy that I usually don't do is like, okay, language notes and um, how do these, what do these characters, what does this culture of creatures know about that culture of creatures? Right. And these are things that aren't even going to be in the book. You know yeah. what I mean? But these are things right. I need to know. Yes. Exactly. <clears throat> so little, little things like that, um, I will jot down as I go because um, I don't want to forget them. But most of the time I, I consider myself to be a very visionary writer is how I describe it because I've never really been able to relate to plotter or pantser because um, and and a pan, it's it's hard to even say because it, again they're subjective. There's no like exact definitions, but I get a vision of what I want the story to be, and I see almost the entire thing in my head, and it's there all the time. And I'm just like living it, living it, living it, living it, and then writing what I'm seeing every single day. Mm. And it's not like I'm like, hmm, what's going to happen next? Um, but I'm also not like, oh, let me take all of this and write it down, because it just like doesn't feel right for me to do that. So that's just been, and I know it's kind of weird. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I can't relate to that at all, which is fine. And like you were just saying, <clears throat> I think the beauty of it is being able to um, realize that your process can be unique mm -hmm. and that it doesn't have to match. And And the thing is what you talk about on your YouTube channel Anybody can apply those principles. For example, I apply them in my books all the time without even really consciously thinking about it. Because once you once you learn about what makes a story come alive to you, you start incorporating those things. So even if you don't um, follow like a structure that you're writing out or like filling out a template or something or writing it all down in a notebook and you're still introducing these principles of internal conflict and you know how the story is flowing that that's that's what that's what's going to make your story flourish regardless of how you attack it if that makes right. sense yeah yeah it does make total sense because there are a lot of ways to do a thing and there's no one-size-fits-all method right for sure so I like to take the pressure off of people listening and also people who watch my channel because you don't have to outline as intensely as I do or as some people do, <laughs> okay? So it's all down to your process. And your process is, I think, a cool moment of self-discovery when you start to learn what your process is and what works for you. And like you are saying, the more you do it, the more it comes natural to you. So it will just start to come natural to you what is what works the best for you. So I think that it's important not to stress out too much about, oh, I need to outline, oh, I need to, you know, make all these notes or follow this template. Yes, the templates can be a good guide, but don't feel like you need to get super detailed. I love that you said the bullet point list thing because that's what I always recommend to pantsers or people who aren't used to outlining who want to try outlining or try the three-act story structure, but they're not sure how to attack it. Um, and I always advise, just make a bullet point outline. Like, just take the three-act story structure as a bullet point, like bullet points, and just vaguely write in what you think would happen in each 
point of the structure. And you can literally just go with that. Hmm. Like for, for some writers, you your talent will fill in the gaps. It won't right. have to be like this strenuous process of trying to figure out every single detail because sometimes those things just come to you as you're writing. It really depends on the type of writer you are. Um, and the more you do it, the more it comes natural to you. Yeah, and I think it also everything. has to do with your personality. Like, I mean, our personalities yeah. are so different. Like, right. you really enjoy lists and planning and having a lot of structure, whereas I am not very structured. Um, and I, I don't really write anything down or plan anything. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds bad when you say it aloud, even though it isn't, you know? I don't know why I laugh, but, you know, so it's yeah. a personality thing. Yes. <clears throat> So for someone like you who plans a lot, it would feel uncomfortable to write yeah. and not have that um, planning out first right. aspect. Can you imagine an Enneagram one writing a book <laughs> without any plan? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Nightmare. But, but yeah, it, so it is I think good it's to like practice <clears throat> spontaneous yeah. writing sometimes, I think. Yeah, like you write spontaneous. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So um yeah, I think it's good to do both. And um, it's kind of like like what came to my mind as you were saying this was um, like photography. When you first start out, start out learning photography, you learn a lot about how to frame up a shot and composition and lighting and all this stuff. But like once you really get into it and that stuff gets ingrained into you, you don't have to stop every single time and be like, is the lighting, all right, what was I supposed to do with the lighting? How do you frame it up? And, you know, look at the book and stuff. So a lot of it after a while becomes ingrained. And I think that's what you've seen with yeah. your own writing is that these principles just become second nature yeah. and sort of just flow right out. Yeah, they really do. It's a cool process. Um, myth number six is you have to satisfy your reader. And this is something that we've touched on in the past, but, and I, I think we should do like a whole podcast on it or I'll do a whole video on it someday, maybe. <laughs> um, finding this equilibrium, this balance between satisfying your reader and also leaving a little bit of intrigue, unanswered questions type of thing. Right. Um, you can definitely play with that balance, especially in like a series or if there's going to be a continuation of the story. You don't have to satisfy every single, you don't have to satisfy the reader completely. Right. You can leave some loose ends. You can leave some open doors and come back and build off of that. Exactly. Um, I've just heard this advice thrown around of like, you have to satisfy your reader, satisfy your audience. But what does that even mean? Like, yeah, you need to satisfy them somewhat. Right. But... You shouldn't satisfy them completely. We were talking about this one time in a podcast and you used the the example of a restaurant. Yeah. I think. Yes. <laughs> like you don't want them to like go away hungry, but you also want them to want to come back right. for more. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, you I know? ate so much food at this one meal I don't ever want to eat here again, you know? Yeah. So you want it to be like, oh, that was so good. I want to have that again. Yeah, exactly. Not like I you, just you want them coming back. For you more. know, ate a whole cake and now I'm done with that place forever. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. Like you want them to be excited, right? To come back for more, and that's what I think makes literature addictive. Yes, is that right amount of satisfying the reader but making them hungry for more? Mm. Yeah, it's a balance. Yeah, for sure. Myth number seven is the final myth. 
you're too young to publish a book. Never too young. Never too young. Never too young. This misbelief that there's a such thing as being too young to publish a book or feeling disqualified because you're young or you're a teenager, don't. Actually go listen to our podcast on advice for teen writers because that was one of them. Mm It's not feeling disqualified because you're young or maybe, maybe you're even younger than a teenager. And you should never feel like, oh, I'm too young to publish a book or to put my work out there, even if it's not publishing it in a physical book. It might be publishing it online or just sharing it with somebody, but especially publishing, because I think there's this stereotype of you have to achieve a certain, like, amount of experience in writing or publishing, putting your work out there before you can be qualified to publish a book. Yeah, there and that's are enough the qualifications. Case. Yeah. Especially if you're an indie publishing, if mm-hmm. you're indie, indie publishing, you know, <laughs> like you right. don't need anybody's approval. You don't need anybody's permission. Okay. If you right. want to do it, just do it. Right. And the game has totally changed. The Completely. gatekeepers are gone. And it's a really, very cool time to be a writer. Yeah. There's never been a better time to be a writer. Yeah. To quote one of our favorite podcasts. Yeah. Self-publishing <laughs> formula. If you haven't listened to that, go yeah. listen to it because that's full of great um, advice if you are going the indie path. Lots of good advice there. But yeah, you're never too young. There, it's never too, You're never too young to start putting your work out there. That's how we started. We started putting our work out there online when we were quite young. Got lots of great feedback, really encouraged us and fueled us forward in our writing career. And I think it can really do just that. And as far as being afraid, like, oh, what if it's not good enough? Edit your own work. Yeah. Keep writing. Keep getting experience. Have someone you trust and who wants the best for your writing help you read, like beta read and edit your work. And that's going to be putting your best foot forward. Yeah. So there you have it. Seven most common writing myths debunked and comment below and tell us if you have believed any of these myths and if you feel a little bit more liberated now that you know they're not true (laughs) and um yeah tell us your thoughts tell us what you thought of this episode as always give it a big thumbs up if you're on the youtube version if you haven't seen the video on youtube go to kate's channel which is youtube.com slash ka emmons and check out the video version of this podcast we think you'll like it share it with a friend who might need it who might believe some of these myths and needs to debunk them Um, again thank you to our patrons for keeping this show going if you get value out of this show go to patreon.com slash the kate and abby show and help us keep this show alive and interruption free we appreciate you guys so much thank you for all of your support Thanks for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Until then, stay stoked and rock on.